So I'm surprised that you're not more excited about this week. Yeah, everything's fine. It just, I don't know. It seems like here we are. This is the Wednesday, September 17th. So we just had the release of iOS 8 today. We're now less than, well, like, yeah, less than 48 hours away from new iPhones. It just seems like you'd be happier. I think you got it right when you said, like, in my old age, I've become less on the bleeding edge of technology. And I just don't. Mm. You have, and it it makes me sad. It's fine. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get me psyched up on all this new fanciness. So, uh, this is gonna be a very Ryan heavy show, I think, this week, and I think the listeners will appreciate that. I I don't really think that's what the people tune in for. I think they they like the more well balanced shows. Well, let's see how it goes. Who knows? Things might um, you know, sometimes uh, you get me going. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay. Uh, um. All right. Uh, you know so. You're yeah, gonna bring up you're gonna bring up Uber about something, and I'll just I'll just go off on it. So no, I think we have uh, an Uber free week. Surprisingly, it seems uh, like there are you, fewer and fewer of those. I think you sent me two things on it, so hopefully those get drowned out by the other news. No, I, I don't think I'm gonna bring those up. Okay, but we'll see. You know, we we have a rough outline of what we do. You know, this, this is kind of uh, opening the kimono, as as I think you said last week or the week before. We we have a rough outline of what we're gonna do when we come into these things, but. The show, um, as you would say, is very organic. I know that you like the organic stuff. With kale. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so I've got some notes here. I, I came a little more prepared this week than I normally do, so let's see if we can uh, get you pumped up here. So as is pretty common with Apple events, there was a bunch of news that came out after the event you know again as you would say the the devil is in the details and so it's typical that the few days after each of these events some of the kind of finer points come out you know generally things that people are curious about that apple didn't explicitly mention in the event so the first of these that i have is something that i was kind of curious about and i think i actually had meant to bring up on the show last week and that was what NFC would be available to be used for. Because Apple during the event only talked about it in the context of Apple Pay. They didn't really make any mention of third-party developers being able to tap into the NFC chip. And as it turns out, uh, I guess who is this? This is the Engadget story I have here. I think it's uh, Mac. Cold a Mac uh, got a scoop uh, directly from Apple acknowledging that at least initially NFC will only be available for Apple Pay. Are you are you disappointed by this? Did you want to use NFC for other things, or is this something that you also just don't really care about? I'm a tiny bit, uh, tiny bit disappointed, but not surprised at all. So it's exactly how I thought it would be. So do you do you see this as being Touch ID all over again, where Apple rolls it out very slowly? Initially, it's locked down. They wait a year or so to see how things are going, and then they decide to open it up to everyone else? Um, perhaps. I, I don't think NFC... I think the general experience with using NFC peripherals and stuff like that is generally very poor, which is why Apple's not really going to pursue it. Um, and I think maybe they they think they've kind of just nailed down the whole Apple Pay type situation where they don't really see the need to expand it to other things. Well, let me give you an example. So um, I was on a, a trip a month or so ago, and we had a 
I think it was like it was I think it's called like the Moto Cube or something. And it's um a Bluetooth adapter so that you can plug in to any sort of like head unit in a car or whatever. So out is a three and a half millimeter jack, and then this cube just has Bluetooth and you can connect, I think it's like up to five devices to it. And of course you can connect it through traditional, you know, setup through Bluetooth, but it also supports pairing just via NFC. That would be really great to have, and I'm a little disappointed that at least in this first go around, that sounds like something I'm still not going to be able to do with the iPhone. And did you use it, and did it actually work flawlessly? Well, I mean, it did. I, I through my iPhone, I just had to use the you know regular Bluetooth setup where all of my friends with Android phones with NFC, they were able to just you know tap the phone to the thing, and it, it just instantly paired. And they did it with a single tap. There was no oh yeah no they they had less trouble pairing it than i did hmm. yeah uh because i just looked it up and it's uh yeah nothing for moto cube yeah i don't think that's what it's called it's uh, it, it, it is in the shape of like a cube but it, it's called something else it's like 50 bucks it's pretty basic anyway not not important to uh the story here but i i think i think this is this is touch id 2.0 i i'd be I'd be willing to bet. I'd say we've got better than a 50-50 shot that come, you know, the iPhone 6S next year, NF or really, I guess, more specifically, iOS 9, will see NFC being available to third-party developers. But we'll see. Yeah, kind of hope so. Because that is the one nice thing about uh, when I had my Android tablet was that I could easily pair my camera to it with just a single tap. So. This is the the Sony camera you have? Mm Mm-hmm. There's the, that has NFC? Yeah. So oh, it does like an ad hoc Wi-Fi connection to share pictures between that and your iPhone or your Android device. But you can skip all the steps of having to link to the correct Wi-Fi network and all that kind of stuff if you have NFC. And six out of ten times it works well. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's generally been my experience with NFC where it seems cool to begin with and it usually works the first time, but subsequent times it's not easy and it becomes just extremely frustrating. Hmm. Which is, I think, the general consensus on how that works for non-nerds, which kind of explains how I think Apple is restricting this, at least to start. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned this last week and my response was I just I haven't really used NFC, so I'm not really familiar with its shortcomings but i mean i it's similar to bluetooth right like i i have quite a bit of trouble when i try to pair bluetooth devices whether that be a speaker or my pebble it seems like i always have to do it two or three times before i get it to work well remember that uh nfc doesn't is is, it sends instructions to the bluetooth radio on what to do so it doesn't. It's not actually like a wireless radio in that sense. It either receives or sends very, very small bits of information, and then tells either Wi-Fi or Bluetooth to do something. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like we're adding adding layers of complexity onto something that is maybe already a little uh, fickle. Exactly. All right. So that's that's about all there is with that. Um, so the other thing that caught my eye this week was. You know, a lot of the questions around Apple Watch coming out of the event was battery life. And Recode got the scoop indicating that as it stands now, and this is still, I guess, a work in progress, which is to be expected, 
the battery lasts about a day, which my my take on that is is twofold. If it's if it's about a day in the sense that you can go through a day of moderate to heavy use and still have 15-20% left at the end of the day, that's fine. But if it's on the other end of that kind of line where we're talking about, you know, moderate use to heavier use and you're barely scraping by, like maybe you even run out kind of near the end of the day, that's that's no good. Uh, yeah, I really think that they're probably going to try to make a lot of tweaks to it and eliminate unnecessary stuff to make sure it's not um, like a Moto 360 situation. Because if it's something that doesn't get comfortably through a day, I think that's a non-starter for most people. Because, I mean, Apple's making such like such hay about the fact that it's such a great timepiece and that it's, it's all they're going back to... Um, like the basic tenets of what a watch should be. And if it fails that simple test of can it tell time because it's out of battery, that just kind of snaps all that away. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But we'll, we'll see. I, I think I think that's one of those things we're not going to know until basically right before this thing comes out. Um, and the other thing I don't think we're going to know pretty much right up until the last minute is price. I don't I don't know if you saw this, but uh, your your buddy, John Gruber, he had a really long, pretty fascinating post with his initial impressions and observations about Apple Watch. And he, I, I, I don't even know where to start with this. So he, he spends a bit talking about pricing. And so during the event, of course, they said Apple Watch will start at 349 And what Gruber thinks is going to happen, and you know he's got a pretty solid track record. He's, gonna, he's saying that the... Apple Watch Sport is the one that's going to start at 349. Then the Apple Watch, which is the stainless steel model, is going to start at 999, and that the Apple Watch Edition, which is the 18 karat gold version, is going to start at 4999. I that that seems completely crazy to me, but I mean, I think even last week, we we had speculated that maybe the Apple Watch, the stainless steel model, would actually be a little less than the Sport model just because the Sport model is lighter and it's got a little bit more protected glass or whatever. But, I mean, what, what do you think about this? Is this, is this? is this at all plausible? When I originally saw the, the Apple Watch announcement, I, I did think that the solid gold one was going to be kind of... Um like an extreme luxury product, which, you know, kind of like, um, what is it? Uh, you know, like back when we were like kids and there was the 30 inch Apple cinema display Mm -hmm. and it was like all the regular stuff was, it was still, it was over or it was pricey, but it wasn't $3,000 for monitor. I assume that's what the gold one was going to be, but I did not think kind of the stainless steel one was going to crack a thousand dollars or whatever he expects it to. I and yeah, as we talked about last week, I thought that the sport one was actually probably going to be like four fifty. The stainless steel one would be like three fifty. I thought that was the entry level one, or at least how that's how the presentation kind of suggested it would be. And under as my understanding was, yeah, because they always mention that one first, especially when they ever uh, when they said what the product should be. Right. Yeah, I th- th- this is comp- I think. I think the 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 gold version at five thousand. I, I think that that's a high number, but I, I mean, I'm not surprised that 
it would be significantly more than the other two. The one that I'm really, really surprised about is the stainless steel model starting at a thousand. That that really just doesn't sound right to me. I mean, you know, Gruber has pointed out that, you know, kind of similar, I guess maybe it's not exactly similar, but he, he was also not under the impression that we would ever see an iPhone bigger than five inches. And of course, he's had to talk a lot about this week, how that's obviously turned out to be different. So I don't know, maybe this is another miss in that direction, but generally speaking, he's pretty on the mark. Um, so I just, I just, it just, it seems crazy to me that anyone would spend an extra, what is this, $650 to go from the aluminum model to a stainless steel model. I mean, I, I'm guessing like you wouldn't even consider that, right? Not at all. I mean, I, I would actually, I would pay much, much more for the sport one or the one that has like the cool colors on it. Like that, that is actually something that would get me excited about maybe making the price jump from 350 to maybe like 599 like if it had some additional waterproofing or if like if there was some, some like selling point to it like that would be more exciting to me but i assume i mean the, the luxury watch market exists and thrives so i assume there's some people who would be willing to buy that i assume apple probably would think that that's only five percent of consumers and it's going to be a, a product that they're willing to manufacture yeah, and you know his he again he goes on quite a bit in this article, and his sort of argument as to why this makes sense is because even at a thousand dollars for the stainless steel version and five thousand for the gold version, that's still radically cheaper than equivalent you know watches made of that same. I shouldn't really I shouldn't say equivalent watches, but watches made of those same materials. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I've <laughs> I've never been one. I I really like nice watches, but I've never been one to actually go out and you know spend thousands of dollars on one. So exactly because you're more interested in. I mean, you you can kind of appreciate that one it looks nice and is has a certain value to it. But as as a nerd, you're more interested in the technology of it, and you don't see how the externals would make it. Like unless there was something on the inside that made it more worthwhile, you would right. probably never stray in that higher end. I don't, yeah, I don't value material. I value aesthetics and functionality. So, I mean, we'll see. I, it's, man, it just seems, seems pretty surprising, but. Um, well, we've got uh, like a good solid five months to think about it. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll have many an episode about it. Seems, I guess the, la the last thought on this is that it just seems like by putting it out there that these are starting at 350 it just seems like they're just setting themselves up for a, just a awful awful reaction if a majority of these things are a thousand bucks plus two out of the three yeah but it's not that's not it wouldn't be the majority of units moved no certainly not and because of the interchangeable um watch bands and that kind of stuff i i I don't think that I don't think having ultra high end models would change somebody's perception of it as long as there's a somewhat reasonably priced model with decent amounts of customization uh, choice. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. All right. So some other some other wrap up items from from the show or from the event last week. Um, Wi-Fi calling. So this is something that they 
are introducing with is is this just available with iPhone six or is this part of iOS eight? Do you know? Um, I believe it is part of iOS eight, and I think T-Mobile is going to support it with the five and five S as well. Got it. Yeah, so I, the, I could be wrong though. So the news here in the U.S. is that AT and T, or I should start with T-Mobile, is going to support this. I think starting Friday, like right out of the box. Correct. That was part of their uncarrier six dot thing. <laughs> I think it was. Wasn't it seven dot no, no. Or just six? Okay. <laughs> um, the the one that one of the first ones was uh, the no subsidies, and there was uh, breaking net neutrality, and then yeah. Oh, I was actually. I thought you were actually going to list all six. I was going to be really impressed. I think I actually can, but I, I don't want to do that. Okay. Uh, but uh, so AT and T, not not so much. They are they're not going to uh, support this at least initially. And I believe it's the same case with Verizon, but. Um, and I think, but I'm not sure people care all that much, do they? Because one, I mean, T-Mobile needs this in the sense that T-Mobile's coverage generally, I mean, things might have changed uh, as part of Uncarrier, but T-Mobile's like weakness has generally been covered. So therefore their UMA technology and Wi-Fi calling and all that stuff has been slightly more important where I don't think T- uh, AT&T and Verizon really have that much of an issue. And if you want a uh, wireless for data, I mean, every phone has Wi-Fi. So this doesn't make a huge dent for a lot of people. I don't really, I don't think this is a, a big thing. I, I, I agree. That, that was the question I was going to ask for you, particularly now where a majority of, particularly new plans are coming with now unlimited voice. So minutes aren't really the issue like they used to be. So it really seems like coverage is the only reason why you would need this. And you know, at least for me, I mean, AT&T works fine in my apartment, so it's not like I'd, and it works fine in my office too, so it's not like this would really benefit me anywhere that I'm on Wi-Fi. Now it's it's actually, I was at T-Mobile, I was working at T-Mobile when they initially rolled out the Wi-Fi calling thing. Mm-hmm. This was, man, how long ago was this now? This was like six years ago, seven years ago, and they, they were really, really pushing it, but I at least in our neck of the woods it didn't didn't really take off it didn't resonate with the public because it did not because uma i think required like one of three blackberry curve models in order to work it was very limited yeah, yeah. there the only, the only handful of phones it worked with yeah what what do you know about so the other thing they talked about was i is it l something so LTE? voice over lte v lte or something so it's called volte which is voice over lte so uh, that allows customers to make high def. Uh, uh, they're calling them HD voice calls to just enhance. Cl- <laughs> everything's HD. That word means nothing anymore. Of course. Um, but they can make uh, higher quality audio calls um, by using the data network rather than the traditional GSM or CDMA voice networks. Um, and that is coming. Uh, Verizon will be launching that with the iPhone 6, but it's in kind of a, a public beta period. And I think AT&T is doing it as well. Um, and wasn't wasn't this a thing on the 5S as well? Didn't they say there was some type of HD voice thing happening? It just was never supported with any US carriers? I don't I don't believe so. Hmm. I don't believe so. But I mean, so and this this will kind of lead into I don't know if you're going to talk about the maybe more reactions about the 6 and the 6 plus with the reviews that have come out. But I mean, do you really use your phone for phone calls that much anymore? I mean, does do improvements in voice quality really make a difference to people when these are basically just communications uh, communication devices rather than phones? And there's two ways to look at it. I, normally, I do avoid 
phone calls at all costs. It's generally my least preferred method of communication. However, if I really think about why that's the case, I think it's because of how frustrating it can be, specifically with not being able to hear someone or having someone not be able to hear you. Like, I I think I would be slightly more likely to, you know, want to talk on the phone if the audio quality were significantly better. But my, you know, my, my main question around that is, you know, let's say that I make a phone call with the iPhone 6 this Friday, right? And I, I do so over LTE. You if I'm won't. calling... Hmm? You won't. What do you mean? Uh, I'm pretty sure AT&T doesn't support it out of the box. Oh, this is not coming till later this year or with something? With AT&T, I don't think so. And also the issue is that it uh, is cross-carrier support isn't really there either. And there's going to be a whole ton of dropped calls at the start. Well, they I know they, they were listed as a partner, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know if it's available. Well, anyway, let, let's assume for a minute it is available right away. So if I, if I call, let's let's take my sister, for example, who will have her iPhone 5 or 5S. I forget what she has. Um, and she's she's not she doesn't have access to this VOLTE thing. Is it going to make a significant difference if her and I talk, if if I'm using it and she's not? Or do we really have, both have to be using it to get the benefit? No, I'm fairly certain it would just be a standard phone call. So you think both both parties have to be on like an iPhone 6 or other device that supports it and be on the same carrier? That is my understanding with uh, what I've reviewed for certain carriers. Huh. But, that seems but, very limited. But going back to your original point of what you said, I, I don't. I think the most frustrating part of uh, phone calls as a communication thing is mainly just like playing phone tag with people, and I don't really think it's. I'm not sure it's the call quality, and also I don't think HD voice or improved calling quality will fix that because it's mainly like the microphones and and stuff and just like noisy environments. I don't think like a clear connection will really make that much of a difference, right? No, I'm not saying it's going to make me want to talk on the phone all day, every day, but at least the times where talking on the phone is your only option, at least it'll be maybe a slightly more pleasant experience. I can't think of a single time where you can't just send a Snapchat instead. <laughs> do you do you use Snapchat? I have never installed it, and I still don't understand what it is. Yeah, I, I haven't installed it either, and I'm, I'm not against it or anything. I just... Uh, I just, I don't, I don't, from what I understand of it and what I've seen of it, it just doesn't sound like it's for me. And I don't understand the purpose of like impermanent messaging. Mm. Well, because the whole point of it's supposed to be that like whenever you send somebody something, it disappears in 10 seconds or something. That's like their gimmick, right? I I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So last, last two bits of, I'm going to, I'm going to skip over this, this U2 album stuff. I I had that as one of the things, but Mm -hmm. I don't think I really want to talk. There was some sure. really weird negative reaction to it, and I think it's weird. And Sure. So just on that note, though, so I think I sent this to you, but um, the one thing that makes this somewhat of an interesting story is that how Apple... So the, after the Apple iPhone 6 announcement thing, uh, U2 came on stage, and they gave everybody their new album for free. But rather than just making it like you go to the iTunes store and you can get it for $0, they kind of like shoved it into everybody's iTunes library. And I think, uh, like, I know there's all those jokes about, oh, young people don't know who U2 is and everybody's mad about it and they're mad about something for free. I think it's more the thing that you can't really trust somebody who wants you to back up all their stuff to the cloud if you just 
pick and add things whenever the fuck you want. And I think that was the actual like one legitimate argument you can make against it of why this was silly. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's valid. I think if you want people to trust you, just you you can't mess with what's theirs. You don't you don't remove stuff. You don't add stuff just because it suits you. You just leave it alone. Totally agree. Like, <laughs> like if random stuff just appeared in your Dropbox one day, wouldn't you be kind of super pissed? <laughs> I I would be upset. Yeah. That's it. All right. Okay, so this is not. This is not stopping people from from buying these new phones, though. So, I'm, I'm looking at the the pre-order numbers here, and I guess between the six and the six plus sales topped four million in the first twenty four hours. Pretty crazy. And I guess we haven't. I guess this is the first show since the whole pre-order thing went down. I um had a very pleasant experience pre-ordering the phone. They. They they had this I think last year maybe even the year before where with the Apple Store app there's just a button you can click to say hey I want to buy the new iPhone to replace the iPhone I'm currently using and you know it auto detects your carrier your phone number all that stuff looks up your upgrade eligibility and you just you know you pick your model your color storage size and boom you're good to go and I had it air out once on me when I was trying to do it at about it was about you know, twelve forty five or one. Um, on Friday morning. Um, and then after the first time it aired out, tried it again, second time, went right through. So, and it is due, due to arrive on Friday. Congratulations. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and the, uh, the reviews. Uh, overall, I think pretty positive. I, I think as is to be expected, the, the 6 Plus is really totally up to just personal preference you know it's some people for you know whatever reason I, I i say that because i'm not one of them so i can't really elaborate on why but some people really do enjoy the you know as you say phablet type size but you know a majority of people don't and so for those people the six plus really just doesn't make any sense however it does sound like the six plus's screen is absolutely fantastic, um, and, and you know, especially when you hold it right next to the six or any other iPhone model, you can tell that it's a bit sharper. Um, but, so, but know. it's it's an unusable size, so therefore it's not even worth considering. I, I agree with that. Like, um, all right, never mind. This is gonna be a rehash of last week's episode, so people people can refer back to it. But it's it's it it's not a size anybody should be considering. No, because um, as part of all the reviews, a lot of people have shown that it's it's it is a big phone rather than just an incredibly small tablet. So I I don't really see what people are getting out of this, but it's all right. Yeah, that's that's fine. Anyway, other other highlights of reviews have been they they both both screens in both the six and the six plus apparently are very very nice. Um, you know, obviously the camera continues to improve um most reviews commented that both video and still images are fantastic and you know kind of better than they've ever been um nobody really knows apple pay yet because it's not actually going to be available until october so none of the reviews really touched on that um 
And really outside of that, it's kind of hard to talk about the new iPhones without really spending a majority of time with or talking about the new version of iOS, which is really, I think, where you know, a majority of the new features are, especially this year where with the iPhones outside of the bigger screens, not really and, and NFC, I guess, but again, Apple Pay's not out yet. Outside of those two things, there really isn't a whole lot new hardware wise. So I'm thinking that, you know, we do what a lot of reviewers have done with these phones and instead kind of start talking about iOS eight, unless there's something else you think there's something to talk about with the phones. No, not really. Go for it. Okay, so I I have not installed iOS 8 on my iPhone. I kind of make that a habit. I usually just keep the old version of iOS on my phone when I sell it. Uh, but I did upgrade to iOS 8 on my iPad. I've been playing around with it a little bit. So what uh, what are your initial impressions? Um, it's a it's, it's what iOS 7 should have been. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's completely right. Um, I mean, in more detail, um, it, it's everything that iOS seven had. Um, it just has a ton of subtle and a lot of uh, not very obvious refinements that make it dramatically more useful, such as extending Touch ID to. Um, I mean, a lot of them are relate like uh, would mainly appeal to developers, but being able to extend Touch ID to individual applications, such as One Password, which was released today. Um, uh, you can do uh, notification center plugins now, which is very nice. So you can like integrate OmniFocus and uh, ESPN Score Center into the Today View, which is very very nice. Um, uh, the share sheet extensions and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of uh, little tweaks there that make it um not really visually different, but much more powerful and extensible. And then you have like you know you have the audio messaging thing in iMessage, customizable keyboards. Um. Just tons of cool little uh, refinements and tweaks. Nothing that, like, I assume a lot of people who upgrade and turn it on probably won't notice a difference right off the bat. Yeah, I had I had a couple coworkers um, upgrade today, and I was you know kind of asking them what they thought, and that was the impression everybody had was it doesn't really seem like anything's changed, which I I think is a totally fair observation to someone who's you know not sitting there reading ten page long iOS reviews on Ars Technica like I was today. Yeah. But it is a very, very substantial upgrade when you really think about it and after you've lived in the phone for a little bit. I don't know if you noticed this, but the the brief description when you launched the software updater and it talked about what iOS 8 was, they the first sentence was, it's the biggest upgrade to iOS since the App Store. That's what Apple said. And that that's absolutely accurate. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah. Um... Well, so, so tell me, so the thing that I want to know is the one password stuff. How, how is it? Uh, so other than, than the little uh, trouble I had earlier today where I uh, uh, apparently, so with the release of 1Password 5, which is the new version that just came out that support, that's iOS 8 only and that supports Touch ID, um, it looks like uh, Agile Bits has gone to a, like a freemium model. They made the application free and you can unlock uh, pro features for ten dollars so if you had an old version apparently there's some issues with upgrading where um you didn't get any of the old paid for features but anyway you can uninstall and reinstall and then it works 
But uh, what you can do is you can set the application now to um, only require the master password once every like uh, every hour, every day, um, or up to 30 days. And then to unlock it, you can use Touch ID instead, which actually works really well. But that's not really the useful part of it. Um, now, because of the uh, kind of uh, more lenient developer restrictions, they can integrate it into Safari as a share action where one password when you hit the share button is an option. You can then put your thumb on the reader, open up a one password, and it automatically fills in the Safari fields for you. So generally, you don't even have to open the one password app anymore. And then for applications like Slack and a few others, they've already integrated the one password extension where you just tap the little one password icon and you're in. I think the number one thing I'm curious about is how widespread the one password integration is going to be with apps. Like I know, so I know Mint came out today and said that they, they now have integration, but I'm curious if we're going to see it across the board with things like, you know, Bank of America or Wells Fargo, you know, if you, for your banking and. You mean touch ID or one password? Well, I, I guess, well, I guess that's, hmm. So I guess with with one pa or with Touch ID, how would that work? Would you just set it up so that you take whatever password you had set up in one password and then assign that to the Touch ID, Touch ID functionality to? I guess I don't know how the Touch ID stuff works app specific. Well, so there are two uh, two financial applications that I use that have been updated to support that. So both of those apps. Um, formerly allowed you to set a short uh, four-character password as kind of a quick unlock thing, but you still have to type in your password like once a month. Um, and those now allow you to replace the uh, numeric passcode with Touch ID. So I don't think a Bank of America or a Wells Fargo will ever integrate into a 1Password type application, but I do believe um that they would support touch id eventually i don't think bank of america because their apps always it takes a year for them to do anything with it <laughs> but i think in the next month or so I, I would i would bet that american express will allow you to to do touch id instead yeah i think i i think i realized i i misspoke but i think mint came out with touch id support today not specifically one password support yeah because i think it's more um technology company or like uh, you know kind of like power user stuff that'll allow you to do one password so, I mean, essentially, Touch ID in that case is just replacing your password. Which is good enough for me. Yeah. Because okay. the issues for me is, like, my, my financial uh, account passwords are a bit stronger than my everyday passwords, which are already kind of uh, tough to type in. So, therefore, if, you, if I have to log in every time, I generally don't do much, like, banking or anything from my phone because it's just such a pain. But, yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and the one password integration up to this point with really just having to you know go back and forth between apps and copying and pasting your password i mean it works but it's, it's really tedious it's very tedious yeah um so going back to the what's this whole upgrade issue with what are, what are these what are the pro what are the pro features now that they're hiding behind or you know shielding behind this this freemium thing well, so it's just what the paid version used to be. So, I mean, the paid version usually kind of fluctuated between $15 and $20 for the uh, universal iOS app. Um, so now it's free for everybody. And if you want these advanced features, um, you have to pay 10 bucks for them. 
And those are if you want uh, multiple vaults, if you want like advanced categories, if you want custom tags. Um, so things that mainly a power user would use. So a lot of people can now kind of get one password completely free, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting. Very. I mean, no, nothing you just listed are things that I use. So, like, I mean, the custom things that I like. I mean, it has like servers and wireless routers and uh, devices that you can use as kind of like an item type. So I use those a lot. Um, and custom tags, so you can kind of group accounts. So I actually do use those. But I mean, if you if you just use it for its very very basic functions, no, you wouldn't need those, and you probably wouldn't miss those. And how does it? So you said you had to uninstall and reinstall. How does it know that you had previously purchased the app? Is that part of your key so, chain? No. So it's part of uh, those like uh, relaxed developer restrictions. Apparently, um, new versions of applications can check to see if you bought an old version and use that to kind of pretend that you bought that like plugin pack or whatever. Oh. So it kind of it kind of uh, replaces the in-app purchase. And my old version, when I upgraded it in place, apparently didn't realize that. So they fixed it up over uh, Twitter support. So it's very nice of them. So that's not that's not something specific to one password. That's any application can use this look back feature to what you've previously purchased. Yeah, and I think Twitterific has actually done that uh, in the past because they they keep toying around with whether or not they want it to be free or not because they're kind of you know they're like the the third place or fourth place uh, Twitter client. Hmm. Yeah. Remember that? Remember that like uh, three month stretch where you refused to use Tweetbot because it had circle avatars. I yes, I absolutely will not have any part of that. <laughs> you know, actually, that's another reason not to buy the six plus is because in the Messages app, I'm sure you can turn it off. It should. Well, yeah, I would hope so. Uh, cir circular avatars. It's, I don't. What? Why? What's wrong with a square avatar? All right. That's right. Um, the, an the answer is nothing. So, so what else is cool about? Uh, so, um, one thing I'm not sure a whole lot of people will use, but that I've um, found nice uh, that is there's now uh, user replaceable keyboards. So I don't know. You've never really had an Android phone for any significant period of time, but or actually ever. You just have a Nexus Seven, but you can uh, add on third-party keyboards onto Android devices. And there's one called Swift Key that's extremely nice, and that came out for. Uh, iOS 8 today. So when you get your iPhone 6, I would strongly recommend installing it and giving it a try. So what, what's what's special? What's SwiftKey's thing? So it has extremely good predictive typing. So I think I sent you a couple of things about how the iOS predictive typing keyboard is not good at all. Um, and it also allows you to do um, uh, what they call SwiftKey flow, which is uh, like swipe typing, where you drag your finger through the letters and it forms the word for you. Which, if you're doing one-handed typing, for me, um, I'm actually fairly good at it. So, I'd and recommend the, the train. The train's getting a little guest appearance here. It's always unfortunate when it makes the noise as you're talking, because then there's really just no way for me to cut that out. But it's good, you know. Again, don't hate. No, I'm not hating. Just, just pointing out. Yeah, the listeners would have never noticed. <laughs> well, I think I think there they probably would have. Um. Oh, see, now i got to edit out that notification thing. I'll, I'll, we'll leave it in, whatever. We're keeping all, this, we're, in. We're, we're keeping all this in. Yeah. Apparently, Apple Pay is coming to Bank of America customers. Thank you. That was very timely. Was that the notification you got? Yes. Oh, very good. Uh, right. um, 
Oh, that'd be kind of cool if they like added it to their ATMs. We didn't even need like a debit card. Oh, there's no way they would ever do that. No, I don't think so either. No, because uh, that one just yikes. No, for pulling yeah. out money out of your account directly, yikes. No, that'd be cool though. Yeah, probably not gonna happen. Whenever <laughs> it'll be 2026 before they integrate with Apple Watch. <laughs> I think. Wait, uh, I think that's a. I think that's actually a liberal estimate. I probably 2030. Uh, probably. Um. Yeah, I I don't I don't know with the the whole keyboard thing. I you're right. I've never I I've used the swipe keyboard on my Nexus Seven some, and like it. And it's and it's much more pronounced, or, or it's it's a much more marked improvement on a phone because you you aren't really one handing at uh, even a seven inch tablet. You're not. No, and I noticed that on the iPad when you update to iOS eight, the keyboard doesn't have the you know predictive bar that you had showed me because I, I think that's the default keyboard with an iphone on ios 8 is that right it is so wait it, you mean it's not on by default or it's not available at all uh wait it's certainly not on by default um let's take a look at if i go to general and then keyboard keyboards um yeah no it's it's not um it's not an option nothing that says predictive no hmm that's interesting. Yeah. So an iPad, it's not not even an option. Hmm. So what oh, else well, so that's, this is weird. So let's look at this. So predictive is, so I, I selected the English keyboard and predictive is a, a switch, like as in like an option for the keyboard. Yeah. But if, if it's I start. It's that it's off by default though. If I start typing, well, I'm, I'm in, I mean, I'm in Safari. It should work there, right? Well, it's well, probably like not the, the address bar. Let's go to the messages app here. Oh, here we go. So that so in Safari, it doesn't use the predictive. But okay, so I'm in the Messages app now, and yeah, okay, so it's using it. It, it the predictive stuff is on by default on the iPad. Okay. And we're turning it off. There we go. Okay. Very good. Because apparently, it, I just typed the letter S, and it always predicts S M S and M, and I have no idea why. <laughs> um, that's weird. I wonder if that's specific to you. Actually, can you try that just just for my own okay. sanity? I will. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it back on. This is literally the one and only time I'm ever gonna use this. So I'm Hold turning on. predictive back what on. What was I typing? Hold on, let me let me find the exact phrase. Okay, I'm I'm actually I'm opening your um text, so your iMessage window on the iPad. If I type in S, my so if I just type in the letter S. So I typed it's a and then the letter S and okay. right in the middle. It's it's a S. So the the three that I got are S in quotation marks, shame, and sign. All right, I don't know. What so that's that says a lot about you, Carlos. Anyway, so what else is new in iOS seven or iOS eight? Um, so we've talked about extensions. We've talked about keyboards. Oh. Hey Siri. Uh, see, that only works when it's plugged in. I, I didn't realize that until I read the reviews today. Which is good, actually. It is I, good, Because I, I wouldn't want random people just doing that. Because the thing is, it also has no voice training. Like where an Android phone usually requires that you kind of tell it to recognize your voice so only you're saying, hey, Siri will do it. But yeah, like the times when you'd want to use that, which is probably at your desk when it's plugged in, like bedside or in the car, are all times when it would probably be plugged in. So have you have you tried using this? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Hmm. It works 
85% of the time, like <laughs> in a noisier environment in the car, which I think is a pretty decent success rate. Well, and it I makes mean, it totally hands-free. That's higher than a success rate once you're actually in Siri. So, and, and also I should say success rate means activating Siri, not not getting my oh yeah thing right. no yeah no 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 no. Although surprisingly, uh, no um, cannot take any requests right now. Yeah, I was I was actually messing around with it on the iPad uh, earlier this evening, and it seemed like it, yeah, I was working fine. I you know I I think this was part of iOS seven, but I mean this goes to show how little I use Siri. Um, the the voice is is better now. It is. It seems, a sa- a sounds better and it just sounds more natural. And, and are you using the guy or the girl? Oh, the 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 woman, of course. Gotcha. Not, I mean, not like in a creepy way, but. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so um, I didn't really read any of the reviews just because I've been using it on my own. Uh, what other what what haven't we mentioned that people think is an important addition with iOS 8? Um, well, so the other, the other big thing, which at this point is limited is continuity. So to, to refresh folks at home, this is the kind of umbrella concept, which has a various different features within it. But essentially the idea is that with, with apps and with messages and even with phone calls, you're going to be able to essentially resume whatever you're doing from one you know i device to another i device or from a mac vice versa etc um but so far we don't really have a good sense of how all that stuff works because at least with the i device to i device thing it seems like only phone calls are currently supported um and then i guess with Maybe some apps are too now, like some of Apple's like default apps already support this, but like the messaging thing, which by the way, I'm kind of, I guess now it includes SMS messages, which is what makes it different than before. But like, I already thought with iMessages, all that stuff was supposed to be synced. And I mean, well, you, you know, for a fact that that's hopelessly broken. (laughs) Yeah. Because I still don't understand why for people who have iPads, Macs and phones, why I have three different chat logs for them. I, does that happen to you as well? Oh no! I when I so when I had the keyboard open just now, or the messages app, I should say. I noticed that your iMessage window on my iPad hasn't been updated since August fifteenth. Like I, I did, and I don't. I I assume it has to do with whether or not your phone or your iPad decided to send an iMessage to the person's phone number or their Apple ID associated email. But still, it makes absolutely no sense, and it's very, very frustrating. But it, it shouldn't matter, because when you it register iMessage, you give it both your phone number and your email address. So why, what difference does it make? You're telling me. I mean, I just I just don't really get why. I mean, Gmail does this, right? Like, when you access Gmail on the web. Well, but you're, you, you're, not, allowed to, you're not allowed to bring up Google, because they do web services right. Well, okay. That, that, that's it, unfair. It, it's like... I don't know why I I don't know why the messages app, particularly now with continuity, because we're covering both iMessages and SMS, why the app can't essentially just be a web view. I just don't why why is that why can't that happen? I don't get it. Just because. <laughs> Although uh, actually in the messages application, one very nice part about iOS uh, eight is if you open up the uh, text conversation and you tap details. Let's see. So if I go, 
Got your window open here. I'm type or I'm clicking on details. Oh. So if you tap on it, it shows you a nice little window that allows you to easily call a person, get their contact info, send them where you are, uh, mute the person if they're bothering you for a little while. Um, so also if I so if I click this do not disturb switch, I'll no longer get. Well, I'm not getting messages from you on my iPad anyway, so what difference does it make? Yeah. Um, not that I'm angry. But yeah, it, it'll it'll uh, kind of shut the person up for a little bit, which is good. Because oh, like, you know, like sometimes we, like if like if you're in a group chat. Or if somebody's just bothering you and you you still need to hear other notifications, that's a very, very nice feature. And it also collects all the attachments that they've sent you. That's which pretty Which before neat. in the old days you had to you like scroll back, 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 load earlier messages until you get to like whatever picture you were looking for that you didn't save. That this is this is this is really cool. This and then this made. also solves one other issue, which is if you want to free up space on your iPhone and you're wondering where why messages is like taking up five gigs of space. You can clear out all the attachments from one person who sends you tons and tons of photos, which for the people with sixteen gig, uh, sixteen gig phones, that matters. Yeah. So actually, so let let's talk about this. So one of the one of the parts that um, the the Ars Technica review did a really nice job of is highlighting how much space is available on freshly formatted phones and iPads after installing iOS eight. Um, Unfortunately, for some reason, they didn't give the number offhand for a 16 gigabyte iPhone, but they did give the number for a 16 gigabyte iPad. And from what I understand, iOS 8 is a little bit bigger on iPads than it is on iPhones. So this number will vary maybe by a couple hundred megs. But apparently, there's only 11 gigabytes available on a 16 gigabyte iPad upon freshly installing iOS 8 which that that's just that's just not that's not usable anymore like 11 gigabytes is just not going to get you anywhere somebody like you though like i i, I don't you don't you don't have to tell me i'm uh, i've been buying the largest phone since forever like like i don't understand how anybody like remember the original iphone came in four and eight gigs like like that stuff is absolutely crazy so you don't have to tell me but i mean there are people who want a cheap phone but you know, it's there are not... people who have been buying eight gig mm -hmm. iPhone fours for like up until like a week ago. But you know what though? Like, I, I'll I'll be the first to admit when we're getting into something that really is only for people like you and me. But the whole sixteen gigabyte not being enough space is is not just you and I. Like the example from today is one of my coworkers who installed iOS eight actually had to uninstall a bunch of photos or delete a bunch of photos. <laughs> Before having enough space to upgrade. Well, that's because she was doing it over the air. Yeah, I I, I saw a tweet about that. that because apparently if you do if it you... over the air, like, yeah, it takes five gigs of free space. Because the thing is, when you do it that way, it has to, because it comes to your device compressed to take up less space. So it has to unpack it, clean up all the temporary files and do all that kind of stuff. So it requires far more space than it actually needs. Whereas if you do it through iTunes, you only need like a gig of free space. Mm, See, so I don't think you can really blame that. People want over-the-air updates, but they don't want the compromises that come with it. Well, I, I just I, I don't want to detract too much from the core issue, but I just I think that I think that the you know as as you know, Carlos, we we like to help people on the show. That's we that's do. it's one of the things that we really pride ourselves in. Mm -hmm. So I think pointing out to the folks that if you're looking at a new iPhone and you're considering the 16 gigabyte model, stop. Well, go, yeah, go stop. sell something worth a hundred dollars in your life. Totally. But and, and the reason <laughs> you'll be the, happier. 
<laughs> the reason for that is because, I mean, of course, in any sort of storage device, you never get the full storage capacity. But on top of that, after iOS 8, you're looking at, I'm, I'm guessing on the iPhone, it's about 11 and a half gigs of free space, maybe a little less. And that's just, that's just not going to cut it anymore. Um, oh, sp- uh, sorry, not to derail, but speaking of yeps, uh, Dalrymple said nope to uh, like a mid-October event for iPads. Yeah, so I saw that today. So he he noped. Uh, what is this? Let me pull up the calendar here. So this is the week of I think October twentieth, which is the Monday. He noped that week, which I think the last two years has been the week for the iPad event. So, I don't know. I what I mean what? Well, what, what, let's, what, let's, like, let's, let's not change topics quite yet. Okay, because no, right. I I know what you're about to say, but okay. Um. All right, and then uh, lastly, let's wrap it out. What what else was in iOS eight that people found notable? Um, I feel like it's a lot. I mean, like there's the iCloud stored stuff or iCloud Drive. Which, but again, like before Yosemite's out is not very useful and to also most. Dropbox exists. And also Dropbox exists and works great. So why do you need that? Um, no, I think I think we hit on all the key iOS 8 points, unless you think we're missing something. Uh, not really. Only other thing is uh, when you, it, uh, the Photos application now has a trash can, which I don't like at all. Um well, I guess Spotlight Search is up. So I'm looking at Spotlight Search here. So the little blurb it has to introduce you is, in addition to searching your iPad or iPhone, Spotlight now shows suggestions from the Internet, iTunes, App Store, Movie Show Times, locations nearby, and more. You can change this in settings. Yeah, so Spotlight so Search is a little bit more robust now. It's much more like it's using the same database that Siri has access to. Oh, good. Which, Well... All right, don't don't be a hater, but like a Siri has the option of searching Yelp and Open Table and all these kinds of different things rather than just local on-device content. So, so it okay, is it so is nice that that exists. And so you can turn let, that off. I'm gonna search. I'm gonna search for a nearby restaurant here. Domino's and let's pizza. Oh no, there is a, there actually isn't a Domino's nearby, and they don't thank, deliver thank to God. my area, which is really a. I really should just move. Um, Mama, uh, so I'm searching for Mamacita, nearby Mexican food restaurant. So, okay, so what I, all I'm seeing so far is the only thing that's really relevant is maps. So if I click on the maps one and I open this in maps, I can get directions. There's nowhere to like make. I was looking for a place to well, make can, a reservation. Yeah, I mean, you can keep... Uh, it, it tells you the, their times, price range, pictures of the food, uh, Yelp reviews. So, no, it's 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 very detailed. It's a pretty inclusive search feature. Yeah, certainly certainly more robust than it was before. Yeah. All right, and then... So, lastly, I like just because I've been using it for a little bit, I'll just wrap up and say that uh, I don't think anybody should wait on installing it. It's a very, very... It seems very polished. Like there are small, minor, little like visual glitches and stuff, but it's not like iOS seven where your device will get slower, or that there are show-stopping bugs and restarts and things that make it a bad experience. No, but I think as always, you know, again, we like to help people. I think we we should advise that folks make sure that they have a very recent 
iCloud backup prior oh, to prior to updating. Like I know you're all anti connecting to a computer, but I don't understand how anybody would trust an over the air backup for an entire entirely whole new operating system. I you know what? I've I've the last two iPhones have done the over the I, I haven't plugged an iPhone into a Mac in I mean I don't I actually don't even I don't really don't can't tell you the last time I did that. Maybe the iPhone four? I I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I'm in the cloud, man. <laughs> great a great update overall. Yeah, I I think solid. And those share sheets, man. The share the share sheets are good. It's it's just um, so it's so perfect. You know what though? Okay, I'm I'm gonna ask you a question what? about this. So the, this is the the share sheet thing is really or kind of the, the the key behind some of this extension stuff, or it's kind of like the UI behind this extension stuff. Mm-hmm. So okay, so so I'm I'm using Safari as the example. So I before the show here, I enabled Instapaper and One Password. What what distinguishes which applications are on which row? So the top row is for destinations. So if I'm in Safari and I hit the share the share button and I look at the top row with the colorful icons, that means that I can send a link uh, or that page address to a certain application, whether I want to text that or email it to somebody. And if I tapped on Instapaper, that would then bookmark it. Or if I use uh, like the Pinterest one, I, it would uh, pin a link to that. If I'm using the bottom one, that means I'm doing an action on it, which means I'm either adding a bookmark, I'm going to print it, I'm going to fill in an item using one password. So it says that you're acting on the page within Safari, whereas the other one's sending data out of Safari. Got it. Okay. And so my favorite thing, so just because I use a lot of apps, on the top, again, because we're helping people, on the top row where you have the colorful icons, you can swipe to the right if you have more icons than fill the space, and there's a more button, which allows you to toggle on and off which applications you want to appear in that list. Which, if you have a lot of applications that um, have contacts-based contracts, that allows you to kind of keep it not looking crafty, which is one of the biggest problems with Android phones. Hmm. And you can reorder them so that your most uh, commonly used ones are towards the front. Yeah, I, I like that everything's turned off by default. Yeah. That's very nice. Again, Apple waits for people to do ideas first, and then they'll refine them, and then make them suck less. Most of the time. <laughs> Again, iOS I, I, I seven excluded. Oh God! <laughs> Again, that, that's why I'm saying I'm I'm giving the blessing for people to go do it now because iOS seven. If I ever like recommended somebody did that on an iPhone four S, like deservedly so, they they would be willing to like it's it's okay for them to like cane me. So you know this actually this ties into something that I, I was going to bring up. So the of course as is typical now there were, there were a bunch of new Samsung ads. <sighs> Yeah, so you think you know the one I'm going to refer to here. So they've got they've got one which talks about how everybody mocked the bigger screen phones when they first came out and how everybody thought it was a terrible idea and now oh all of a sudden because Apple's doing it it's a great idea. But you know and Gruber pointed this out, you know, this type of ad this should have come out a year ago from Samsung because what's a whole lot more compelling is to point out something that you have which the competition doesn't rather than just saying oh they're late to the game like that's that's what i never really understand with a lot of the stuff that apple comes out with or people will make the argument that oh well 
that's been available for a year over here. It's like, so what, like, what's your point? Just because it's later than something else doesn't mean it's any less better. And in fact, it is probably better because Apple's probably taken an extra time to further refine it. So I just, I don't, I don't get that argument of being late to the game as being like a negative thing in any way. Because it's, it's, it's here now. It is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't want to defend the position, but it's because I, because I hate the resulting product, but. I mean, the point is, the point it, is it, focus it, on things, focus on things your competitor still doesn't have. Don't focus on the things that they just recently came out with. I absolutely agree. And I mean, and we can kind of agree that most Samsung ads are, are like super annoying because they are. like most of like uh, they like uh, during the like the award season, like uh, a year and a half ago or so. Remember all those ads mocking people for lining up for like new iPhones? I do. And, them that sh- and I think they were actually showing like a Galaxy Note 2 saying, oh, it's got a stylus and look at all this cool stuff I can do. So I, I think Samsung always their marketing department is always just. They have so much money so that the marketing is ubiquitous and it's just everywhere all the time. Like, I mean, think like a couple times a year, every BART station is just plastered in Samsung ads, which is kind of annoying. But uh, they just have so much money that they can do whatever they want with it. It's never really effective or good marketing, though. And again, this just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make their product look any better. It's just saying, ah, look at somebody else who has a product that looks more compelling. Again, it's still not for me, but if I was going to pick one of these, I don't know, it'd probably still be the Apple device. But They should really, uh, they should get Don Draper in there. <sighs> His Mercedes ads are really grating. You think so? Yeah. Hmm. Because, like... I don't know. Anytime any John Ham outside of Mad Men always like his his persona is always just like this this cocky jerk, and I don't know. I, I just don't get it. I've heard him on a couple of interviews, and he I, I don't I don't get that impression. Or I guess not not interviews. Um, whenever he's doing anything, whether he's on SNL or he's doing an ad or he's doing anything else, he's just kind of always yeah. Well, you know, I if if you were consistently being called one of the world's best looking men i you know are people think, calling him that oh absolutely yeah who thinks that uh, well i've i'm not the go-to person for this but well, i think i think there are a lot more like handsome people in the world. like i think there's a lot of people who look better than he does he's got like kind of an old an old style which why which is why Mad Men fits him anyway is this what the people tune in for you think well who's that one guy that everybody, everybody loves the one uh ah, whatever I think you're thinking of uh, Matthew McConaughey. No, but his uh, his Lincoln ads are actually pretty decent. They they're very good. I have, and they were filmed in Austin. That's I heard about that. Yeah, they uh, he he's he's very good. Yeah, you sh- you really should watch that True Detective show. Uh, I might just make that a recurring thing every week. I just I get in some type of you should watch True Detective uh, reference, and I still won't. You know what? I actually did start watching, which I'm I know I'm super super late to the game on. Is uh, orange is a new black? It's very very good. Which I mean, I had literally had a thousand people tell me, so I shouldn't be surprised. But um, it, it's fantastic. You you haven't seen this, right? Nope, don't plan to. But yeah. I, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's very good. Yeah. Netflix surprisingly good original content. Arrested Development aside. Yeah, 
it's tough that they just don't always own it. What do you mean? Well, like uh, Netflix this week launched in uh, France and Germany and a couple of European countries, and they don't actually own the rights to House of Cards. So therefore, it's not even available on their own service throughout most of Europe. No kidding. Mm -hmm. I guess that's like whatever deal they have to make with the production companies that they exactly. work with. Interesting. Content's hard. Con yeah, content, content. Well, content's king. They say. Just ask you to. <laughs> Tied it all together. I'm too, very proud of that one. Too soon. <laughs> I mean, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> the wounds are still too fresh, too deep. All right, I um, forgot where we were. So you're the yeah, one keeping this whole what, thing on track. What happened? Um, no, so I think I think that after almost an hour, wraps up all of the post Apple stuff. I think I think we we've covered the new iPhones, which you know I think next week I'll have some more to say about that because I'll actually have one. Sorry, I just got a ribbon a little bit. Um, it's fine. <laughs> well, I, you you didn't get the you didn't get the iPhone 5s until like three months later, and you didn't care. So yeah, I still don't care. Yeah. yeah. So are we you, talking about this Tim uh, this Tim Cook Charlie Rose interview? So okay, I, I was going to ask you because I've so apparently it's two hours long or close to it. So and I, I've, I watched I, both parts. Yeah, you watch both parts. So I've only seen the first part. So how about this? Let's save that until next week. Okay, it's, it's not terribly time sensitive. So no, I, I think that's a good idea. Okay, and I, as as is evidenced in the the Slack window, I went a little crazy with the notes. So, um, um, let's let's save that for next week. Sure, but just so you know, part two didn't actually have very much. Um... Yeah, the the topics that were mentioned didn't sound like they were quite as interesting but i the first half at least was incredibly interesting uh, and we'll we'll i think we'll save that for next week yeah and eventually we do have to do speaking of things that we want to do in the, in the future on the show which is also i think something that people tune in for i think we have to talk we have to do the amazon show at some point we teased it a few weeks ago and we just we got off track and we've never come back to it we've got to do like a google 2014 update because I don't think because nobody heard the 2013 show. You just you just little little knives as Dan. No, would no, say. I just mean like we, we actually it was a, it was a good concept, but yeah, we got we got to do that again. Okay, yeah, we will we'll tangle that. There's a whole lot of Google to praise and uh, and hate on. Indeed. Okay, so I think yeah that that is officially all the Apple stuff. We'll save the Tim Cook interview for next week because to your point, it's not particularly time sensitive, and he has a lot of interesting things to say. So I do want to come back to that. Um, well, so the, the couple of other topics that I had this week is the Microsoft thing, buying the company who makes Minecraft, whose name I, I don't really want to try to pronounce. Mojang. Mo is that right? Yeah, Mojang, I guess. Is, is this, do you want to talk about this? Not really, but we, well, <laughs> so we talked offline. I like a little bit. I, I don't, I don't understand what Minecraft is. And I, and I don't understand why Microsoft would buy it. Because are they going to fold this into Xbox and make it like an exclusive thing? If not, like if they do, that's going to piss off everybody who plays it. And aren't the people who play it just a bunch of eight-year-old kids? Isn't it a free game? Except like on iOS? No, 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 not at all. So does it's it cost already... money on a PC? Yeah, so it, it, it's already, it already costs money everywhere, I think. I don't think there is a free version of it. I could have sworn it was. Hmm. And isn't so. it, isn't it like a like a super heavily like into being like a modded thing? Oh yeah. Like it's it's like what's what's that one that uh 
everybody used to play in like the mid nineties. Oh yeah, that that one, yeah. Uh, Half Life or something. Like, wasn't that a game that became just an entirely different game because of yes, a mod? Yes, the the source the source engine, which is what Half Life was built on, eventually spawned into all kinds of different games. You know, probably most famously Counter Strike. Okay, because that wasn't actually a game that was a mod of a different one. Half Life was the original game in the the source engine, and then the source engine is what got modded out into a thousand different things. Okay. But yeah, no. So Minecraft is 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 already on you know Xbox, PlayStation, PC, iOS, Android. It's already pretty much out on on everything. And in the announcement, uh, the quote directly from Microsoft is that it plans to continue to make Minecraft available across all platforms on which it is available today: PC, iOS, Android, Xbox, and PlayStation. So, no fear, no need to fear, Carlos. Minecraft will continue to be available across all platforms. I, d- I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't see how this fits into Microsoft's strategic reorganization. Uh, I don't see how this helps Xbox. I... Well, so the, the, the analogy, and I, I was trying to remember where I heard this. Maybe it was Gruber. Um, that the analogy is that Minecraft is this generation's Legos. Like instead of going out the and Legos buying a Lego item. set... Well, but this this would be you know if you if you're a kid, and you know, or I guess if you're a parent really, and you you have a kid who you need to fill up some time for, and you want them to do something that's maybe a step above a regular game in terms of you know the intellectual. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it's something that's a little <laughs> bit more intellectual than like a regular video game. There we go. Um, I, I guess Minecraft is that thing. From what I, I I've never, I haven't really messed with it much, but uh, I, I guess that's that's what people say about it. Okay, and I don't mean to be dismissive or um, like consulting with it. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will play it and have fun. I just don't see how this fits into Microsoft strategy, especially since they're. I, it looks like they're kind of thinking about Xbox a lot more recently. Like, didn't they shut down? like Xbox originals or something and well the the whole launch and the whole mentality behind the Xbox 1 is being kind of scrapped so that that stuff i think is a little bit different than this i this i think is simple well, as isn't isn't Xbox the only place that this would fit in isn't this part of their entertainment division like this isn't they're not going to like shoehorn Microsoft Office onto Minecraft so I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe the thought is is if this is if this is in fact like the next generation of Legos, then it you know that's would be sounds like something that you would want to own if you had two point five billion dollars available to purchase it. So I don't know. Hold on. How much did Balmer buy the Clippers for? <laughs> About two billion. So this yes this this purchase. So is this of... what he really wanted? And, he just, and, the, and the price was too high. It's like. Find the sports team. Maybe he he had to settle for the Clippers. It's I don't know the the game is incredibly popular. So apparently, like I'm looking on their website, apparently they've sold like 26 million licenses for it. Yeah, that's which madness. That, or sorry, that's 16 a, million. That's a lot. <laughs> and it's coming out soon for the PlayStation Vita. Oh, good. That's yeah. That's actually the oh, version goody. I've I've been waiting for. 
All right, what else you got? Okay, so the, the, other, th the other topic, maybe this will be the last of the week, is, you know, this, 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 we're continuing on the Microsoft train. We're actually, we're, you know, we're getting away from the Apple stuff, talking about Microsoft, which we don't, we don't do very often here. You don't, you don't allow it much. Um, Windows 9, the screen, some screenshots are out. And I think they look fantastic. Is it, I haven't looked at this, has, is it demetrified? So well, so they're not not legally allowed to say that anymore. But um, but yes, it, so basically, what they've done is exactly what I think should have been done from the beginning. Is you still have your traditional desktop, you still have it's not called the start button anymore, but you have the Windows icon in the bottom left hand corner, which functionally is the start button. And instead of that button taking you to like the full screen what do they call this windows something experience the, the metro interface space that's what it's called i think it was called, um, I, I actually think their technical term is modern windows yeah yeah because they could they were too cheap to buy the metro name or whatever which is a um, great name but anyway metro is a good name but so instead of that button taking you to this janky terrible full screen metro experience like it does with windows 8 instead you're going to get this hybrid view between what the old start button functionality looked like where you have a list of recently opened applications and favorite applications as well as a universal search bar you know similar to something like spotlight and then now next to that you're going to have a set of tiles much like you do with that full screen metro experience so really this is a very logical best of both worlds compromise and again i think this is exactly what windows 8 should have been but so what, what you know, better it, late than never. Well, so what does this mean for uh, Surface devices and Windows, uh, Windows with Touch or whatever it's called? So I th I think because this looks a lot less touch friendly. Well, I think those devices, and who knows if this is what Microsoft will do, those devices should continue to use that full screen Metro experience because it does work very nicely on a touch focused device, just not so much on a mouse and keyboard device. So you're saying they're still gonna kind of like uh, split their split their resources and kind of do both experiences half-assedly? I don't think you. I don't think you have to half-ass both experiences. I don't think there, I don't think there's any reason why on the desktop you can't have something like this that works great, and then on tablets and phones you have kind of the. I guess the tablets is really the better example. We where you have the full screen metro interface. Well, but doesn't that mean so? That means developers now have twice as much work, don't they? Because you you can't make a true good mouse and keyboard experience and also make a good touch experience. Well, how I mean, how how is this any different than having OS ten or OS X, as you say, on the desktop and iOS on the phone? But those customers are profitable customers. No, Windows users aren't going to pay twice. Come now. I'm being absolutely serious. Hmm. Well, okay. Putting aside the, I'm going to take that as a win. Uh, you said putting well, aside okay. the, no, I don't even. I I don't like the question, and I won't respond to it, as <laughs> our friends over on Rust Development would say. You're Mrs. Bluth. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, putting aside that part of it, I, there's no the iOS and OS 10 show that you can very not easily, but you can make experiences on the desktop with a mouse and keyboard 
and experiences on mobile devices, both great. Sorry, let, let me let me let me reframe what I was saying. What I think is that given this choice now that Microsoft is splitting their attention and they're they're kind of saying that yes, the mouse and keyboard interface has to be different, is that that's where all applications will continue to be written and people just won't pay attention and there won't be any proper apps for a metro style device, which means the surface devices will suffer even more. Well, I think I think though that speaks more to the unpopularity of surface devices than it does to Microsoft's ability to execute on that. Microsoft can has the scope and the resources to be able to do this, but I mean whether whether or not people will actually use the surface isn't contingent upon their ability to actually do this. But you don't think the the fact that the reason why Metro apps haven't been as good is because they see that Microsoft's kind of just hedging and figuring out what people actually want to do. The the reason why Metro apps and the Surface haven't done well is because they're just they're not better than the iPad. Correct, but what's inspiring developers to actually make the quality apps that are going to make it a worthwhile product? Well, <laughs> what's what's Microsoft's commitment on on Windows to them? I don't I don't think continuing to try to force people into this full screen experience with a mouse and keyboard on a desktop is in any way beneficial to developers who are trying to write apps for something like the Surface. Because even though currently with Windows 8 the same interface is available on both devices as a developer it's still far from ideal because you have to now take into account a mouse and a keyboard for your interface and touch. So I, maybe in some ways separating the two is actually beneficial for developers because now the ones who really want to focus on the touch interface know the device that they're aiming for, which is going to now be or presumably be exclusively to these touch devices. And then developers who would rather focus on mice and keyboards know that they can now really focus on that with the desktop again. I think that's very fair. I think I think this looks I think this looks nice. I think this this is exactly what this is exactly the direction I would want Windows to go. If it just keeps going further and further to to Windows 7. <laughs> Basically. Because I I don't like the little tile thingies. I don't really see how how is this better or more functional than the Windows 7. Like, because Windows 7, I mean, it's, it's, I enjoy OS 10, but if I had to, it, it's very, very nice. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, well, I mean, I guess like, if I think about it in, in the context of work, like if, if my work laptop where I do use Windows, if that were to get upgraded to this, what I could see myself using this for would be, you know, if, if Outlook had a little widget where it showed you your next couple of appointments and maybe the people widget or tile or whatever showed you some frequent contacts. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's some stuff you could add over there that would be useful. It's not going to completely change the way I use my computer or anything, but yeah, it could be okay. But this, I mean, this is a ways off. So the, the story that I'm looking at here on Engadget's talking about how a technical preview which I think is kind of like a pre-beta type of build that maybe a step above alpha, but maybe a step below beta somewhere in the middle is expected to arrive in the fall. And then 
you know, from there we'll probably have a series of betas. And so this, I mean, this sounds like this is probably at least a year away, I would guess. Sure. It's my, Microsoft has said they're, they're, it's like every other year for Windows now, right? So Windows 8 was last year? Yeah, it was last year, right? I I don't think they get to do that anymore, but okay. Like, it, it hasn't the adoption rate of Windows 8 been so horrible already? I don't think putting people on a two-year upgrade cycle is going to help anything at all. When Microsoft just has issues moving actual old beige box PCs. Well, Windows 9 looks nice. It does. It it looks like it looks like it's returning to to what it needs to be. Just to wrap that up on a, a positive note. Yeah, cuz this this was supposed to be the, the the positive show. I it was it was going to be. It but... actually turned it turned out better than I thought it would. And then lastly, do, do we care about the 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 new Kindles? Well, I mean, I do. I know you don't. No, no, what's new about them? Will you will you allow me to talk about them? I, I'm I haven't heard much about them. I'd be I'd be very pleased if you would. Wow, thank you. Um, I feel like you know this is like uh, the the gaming thing. I just I'm very grateful when you allow me to actually. I have a soft spot in my heart for Kindles. I just can't ever pull the trigger on a paperweight because I would never use it. But oh, okay, I, I, I thought you I thought you were more anti Kindle. No, no, anti Kindle Fire. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I, I think I, I think you are too. I am. That's fair. Although I mean I I think I I can't remember if I mentioned this pre or post public beta period on the show. One, right? My sister has one and she very much likes it. Hmm. So it, the, really... sec- the second gen one, right? Not not the BlackBerry Playbook one. Um, she got it pretty early on. Hmm. So I actually don't know. It might it might be that BlackBerry Playbook one. Hmm. All right. Well, anyway, go for anyhow. Okay, so this is literally hours before the show. So this is breaking news. We're not normally in the, the you know the breaking news industry, but here we are here. Um, Amazon announced kind of two different things for the Kindle. So the first and the less interesting one is refreshes to the paper white line, which mostly is around some software updates and a small increase in storage size. I think it's we're looking at like two gigabytes of storage to four gigabytes of storage because. You know what everybody's first complaint is with the Kindles? They run out of space with all those books. Um, is that a joke? That is a joke. Okay. How many how many books does it take to fill up two gigabytes of space, let alone four gigabytes? That well, seems like a lot the, of books. Now that Amazon bought uh, Audible, don't aren't you allowed to buy uh, an audiobook version along? You are. So yeah, maybe. But I don't like. Do, does it does a paperweight play audio? Well, no. Let's, let's see here. I'm literally pulling out my paperweight right here. Yeah, there's no there's no headphone jack or anything on it, so I don't know how I would I don't know how I would get audio out of this. I think I think that's more for like the Kindle apps on iOS and Android and all that. Gotcha. So I don't really yeah, I don't really know what an increase in storage space does. But anyway, so that, like I say, that's the the less interesting piece. But the more interesting piece is they've announced a new line of Kindles. This is the Kindle Voyage. And this is going to be their top of the line sort of premium model. Um, first and foremost, the, the the thing that I think is going to stand out is it has a much higher resolution e-ink screen. I think it's that 300 PPI pixels per inch. Uh, the current model is somewhere around like 230 or so. 
So a pretty, pretty big bump in terms of screen quality. Um, and then the other thing is just overall build. So the, the style and the, the materials which it's built out of is just completely different than the paper white Kindles. Uh, the, the front is actually now flat. So the screen is flush with the bezel on the, the paper white. There's a pretty big, um, the screen is very recessed from the, the bezel, which it, lo it looks kind of weird. So I guess this, the, having the screen flush with the bezel makes it just look nicer. And the front is also covered with glass, which is something that they haven't ever done on any of these Kindles. And they, they had a preview event today. And from what I've read, the glass has some type of, it's not a coating, but I guess it's some type of finish where it's very resistant to reflections. And apparently, and this is what, this is what Amazon is saying, it feels more like paper. But I read, I read an article both from Engadget and Ars Technica, which kind of made fun of that quote. So I don't really think that's, um, that's necessarily true. But anyway, so the, the, the glass thing is, is, is different and maybe better. I don't know. That's in terms of feel. Um, and then the last thing is they're kind of reintroducing uh, physical buttons for page turning. So this is something they had on every version up to the Paperwhite version where they went totally with the touchscreen. But now they, you can still do that, but they now have these uh, pressure sensitive edges where they're not physical buttons. They're, 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 calling, they're calling this page press. And essentially the edges of the device now can sense when you're adding some additional pressure and it'll give you a little haptic feedback indication to indicate when you're doing this and it will it will change the page for you which is being pitched as sort of a solution for folks who are holding their Kindle with one hand which I can attest to on the my paper white it, it is kind of difficult to to turn the page one-handed using just the uh, the touch gesture um, yeah so overall the I think the the voyage looks sweet I think it looks by far and away the best Kindle they've ever made, and certainly the highest quality Kindle they've ever made. And again, how much more is it than the current? Uh, oh yeah, <clears throat> I, I buried the lead, as you would say. Um, so the the paper white is still selling for. Let's. I mean, they've got so and, many and different versions of these things with like so, special offers. So compare the one without this. special offers for each, just to make it fair. Okay, so without special offers, the Wi-Fi. Uh, Kindle, the paper white is, let's see, they bury, okay, so it's 139 is the, the, the current generation Kindle paper white with Wi-Fi. I'm going to ignore the 3G versions because who cares? Um, so 139 compared to 219 for the Kindle Voyage. That's without special offers. Okay. I don't mind the special offers, though. I, I actually find some of them to be very useful. You know, particularly when they've, a couple of times they've actually advertised like Kindle book sales. And I, I find that to be like, I actually want to know about that. Hmm. And screen sizes remain mainly the same? 
Uh, the screen size is the same. Um, it has a better, brighter backlight. Um, and then a, it also has a sensor now, which dynamically changes the, the backlight based on ambient lighting. Um, and as, as I mentioned, the higher, higher resolution screen as well. Cool. So I think, I, I think I'll get one of these. And this is gonna be a new premium model that exists alongside the paperwhite. That's correct. So the paperwhite sticking around, um, they even have a even more basic version of the, I guess, I guess they're bringing it under the paperwhite umbrella now, but they have a more basic version that's selling for like 79, um, yeah, it looks basically like it bas- looks basically just like the paper white. So I'm not actually not really sure what the difference between that one is and the middle version. Uh, but then you've got this new Voyage one at the at the high end. Uh, and these are all going to be, or at least the Voyage. I guess the new paper whites are available. I think today, and then the Voyage is going to be available October 21st. But available for pre-order now, in case you're interested. Very good. Well, thank you again for letting me dis- discuss Kindles. I appreciate that. No, no, I'm glad to hear it. Again, I got to find out what will. And do Kindles display PDFs well? Uh, sure. I mean, sure. I mean, does does I mean does anything really display a PDF well? A Mac and an iPad. Yeah, I guess depends on the PDF. Like, I mean, if you're if you're reading like uh like an ebook that like was that's from something else or like a like a report on something. I don't know. That that seems like something I might want to paperwhite for, but it just seems really small if you're going to read like a standard eight and a half by eleven page on that size device. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I can't. I can't really say I've ever used my Kindle to look at PDFs. Yeah, it's always been for Kindle specific books. Yeah. Oh, looks interesting. So, but this is not. Is this something that's going to get you to come back to a Kindle or or no? I don't think so. I think if anything, I. I don't know. I got to get an iPad first. I still don't miss it. That's I feel like, I feel like I don't know you anymore. Again, I use an actual computer much more than you do. That, that's why. Yeah. Maybe I'll just get an iPhone six plus and call it a day. I was in the I I was browsing the Apple Store the the website again this afternoon for MacBook Pros. Just can't I just can't really justify getting one. Wait until next spring. I'm sure there's gonna be a Retina Air someday. Yeah, because there's not a chance Apple's going to release any new Mac hardware this year, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't really even. Well, you you, you did. You, I don't think you wanted me to get into the question I was going to ask you about the iPad. What's that? Wait, well, when we were alluding to the the nope from Jim Dalrymple about the iPad event, the question I was going to ask is what like what is what is the next iPad? Like what what really? I mean, Touch ID. Duh. It has it has an A8. And it has Touch ID, and it's the okay. same product. That's it, right? Which speaks to more of why they're gonna. It's gonna be tougher and tougher for the like. That's why the quarter over quarter sales have has been declining, and it will continue to decline because there's no real reason to buy a new one. Now, because the tablet was already a tough sell anyway. I don't know. I've become very anti-tablet just because. Like, do you really use yours as much as you think you would? Like, if you didn't have a tablet, you would probably just use your phone and not be that much sadder, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't use my iPad a ton. Like, if it was in the kitchen, would you really walk to get it if you had your phone? 
I know. So there, there are many occasions where it's sitting on my coffee table right in front of my couch with my iPhone's on the couch next to me and I choose to use the iPhone. I think that's the, <laughs> I think that is good anecdotal evidence that it perhaps isn't as important a device as they might want you to think it is. But it is, it, it is when I'm traveling. When I'm traveling, the iPad is invaluable. It's just when I'm at home, it doesn't have Yeah, much of but a what happens when you get a Retina MacBook Air? Then it's completely obviated. Like right now, I understand well, that you don't really have a mobile computer because you either have your work laptop or you have a desktop. I think once you have a portable, lightweight laptop, that's when it becomes completely. Well, I mean, I agree for most people, but like for me, the issue would be it, most of the time, the only reason I would have to even bring a laptop with me is if. I, if I have to do work, which would require me to bring my work laptop, which is a Windows laptop, and I'm not, I'm obviously not going to bring two laptops with me. So, as cool as a MacBook Air or Retina MacBook Air is in theory, it still doesn't solve the problem I'm having with the MacBook Pro, which is I just don't really have a reason to get one, other than they're very nice. And podcast editing. Yeah, but the you know. The remote, the remote desktop stuff with Splashtop works so well. There's just not, there's just not really a good reason to do it. So I'm going to steal your line. Is this what people tune in for? I think this is, I think this is exactly what people tune in for. I think they've been waiting the entire show for this, this last sixty seconds. <laughs>